Hi, I'm Kathy Allen. I'm Jasmine. Hi, I'm Ellen. And we have High Expectations. Coming up on this episode, we're all back to update you on Sexbox. Then Ellen and Jasmine talk Netflix while Kathy Allen has a nap fix. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell a friend. Welcome to High Expectations. Kathy Allen's back. We've just watched Sexbox and we're going to talk about it. What do you think of Sexbox, Kathy Allen? I think sex box is an interesting experiment. I'm going to steal Alan's idea and say I think you could have done without the sex box and just talked about sex with couples. But I see that they're trying to get them to be vulnerable on a TV show and the way that they think they can do that is to get them to have sex inside a box on stage, which is apparently soundproof and completely private, except I would find, personally find that quite uncomfortable. Yeah, because... They have that light on on the site. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wow, the red light's still on. They must be still having sex in still there. Still going for it. And afterwards, we watched a clip of a, a gay couple, two men, gay couple. And <laughs> one of the guys had an orgasm. The other one didn't because he said that he didn't feel like he was going to enjoy it and wouldn't finish in time. Mm. And the time is... It was in time. And the time is like, is it 15 minutes? They have 15 minutes in the box. I'm not sure. I don't it's... know if there's a time limit, but they said that the average time in the box was... Oh, so they can stay there as long as they want. The average time in the box oh. was seven minutes. We talked about that on a previous episode. However, the average time during sexual intercourse worldwide is seven minutes or something. Could be that. Like, surely, surely all the people that take way too long would be bringing out the average, yeah. but that's fine. Um, Yeah, that was interesting. I just, yeah, it was really good that they were raising awareness of queer sex and mm-hmm. that whole thing about, like, what are you into and really communicating and that when you get into bed, it should be the start of the conversation, not the end of the conversation. And I think, what I think Savage meant by that was that the kind of going through the motions type of heteronormative sex is that you meet someone in a bar, you're like, yeah, let's hit it off. Let's hit it off. <laughs> like you say, let's hit it off. <laughs> so we can explain it. So you hit it off with somebody, you meet them, you meet them through things, you meet them in town. There's maybe um, something that a lot of people, a lot of other listeners relate to, I don't know, and then you end up having sex that night. So like maybe a one night stand thing, or maybe you, a start of a casual affair. And then when you get to sex, that's the understanding is the end of the conversation. You've gone through all the motions of courting each other, even if it's within one night, three weeks, whatever it takes, and then you're having sex, it's like, oh, that's the conclusion. But really, it should be the beginning of the conversation. Yeah, and it's a continual conversation as well. In a long-term relationship, that conversation is still open, and in a healthy sex life, I think that's something that should still be... um, Yeah, you should still be open-minded about it every single time and still be assessing as to what you're actually into, you know, because your taste will change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that was a really good thing to put across. But yeah, there was a lot made of like, oh, one of them had an orgasm and one of them didn't, which I think is actually quite common for queer sex. Mm. Like, yeah. do you know, sometimes you'll both orgasm or sometimes one of you will focus on the other and they have that in, well, especially with like the lesbian or queer women community, they call it a pillow princess or a stone and those are two extremes. So a pillow princess never does anything to anyone else, but they get everything done to them mm-hmm. and a stone is the opposite. They always do things and they never do, you know, get things done to them. So by done things done to them, I mean sex acts. But that can also go with a more flexible terms of top and bottom. The top is the person who is in the more dominant role and they do more sexual things and a bottom gets more things done to them and is in the more submissive role. And so those are just loose loose terms. Like we throw them around in conversation all the time. Eh? Like you can be a, a hard 
you can be a what did you call it like a hard bottom hard bottom <laughs> yeah. um we can be more of a power bottom so more like, of a power bottom yeah, yeah so you're you're giving up the control to the top but really you're the one that's Has still in control. control um also i want to clarify that people don't have to fit into these terms all of the time they can be switches or, and they or a can, switch yeah, yeah. It means meaning you could be submissive or dominant depending on what's needed yeah. for the situation yeah. obviously this is a spectrum i'm just trying to create a spectrum but what i'm trying to say from that is is that it's actually quite common in queer sex to have just one person get off and the other person do and you can get a lot of pleasure from that yeah definitely from being the person that has even maybe nothing done to them in some sex sessions but i think when that queer couple came out or, you know that, that gay male couple it was strange to the to maybe to the audience or some of the panelists that they wouldn't both orgasm or they wouldn't both try to achieve orgasm that's really confusing because in a lot of heterosexual sex the trope is that the male ah role. but it's an understanding that a woman should get off and if a woman doesn't get off then a man feels like he is a lesser sexual partner right. there's there's a lot of pressures there yeah so and she has to that, pretend to get off from penetrative sex which doesn't actually which doesn't which for 70 percent of women doesn't bring them to orgasm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, so it's emasculating if a woman doesn't orgasm in that case. Yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely yeah. a thing, it's isn't it? Is. Oh my gosh. They feel inadequate. Great. Yeah. But I think that I think one of the issues, biological issues that comes along with heterosexual sex is that on average it's easier for a man to orgasm. And and once he's has orgasmed, he has a short. Do you call it a refractory? A refraction period. Mm. Yeah. So that and that means. Would you want to explain? So a refraction period is the time it takes to be able to become aroused again in a, a physical arousal. To what's the average again. time? Do you do you think? I've heard it's like fifteen minutes or something. It's a number that's thrown about. It really would depend on the guy, I would say. Yeah, it's true. I think for some guys, like, sex once or one orgasm is kind of done for the day. Mm. Some guys. And some guys can immediately do it again. I've heard about these mythical creatures. (laughs) Yeah. Multi-orgasmic men. The (laughs) multi-orgasmic men. But women, as we know, more often can have multiple orgasms or have a very short... Refractory period. There you go. They can add that vocabulary. The word of the day is refractionary. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought that was interesting that it raised awareness of that. But the way they, the panelists kind of talk about it, I also want to say that all, we couldn't get access to the actual sex box episodes. We just had to watch edited clips. Mm. So who yeah. knows how they're edited? But it seemed like they were a bit like, oh, only one of you orgasmed. And then they were like, oh, and he's the one that grabbed his hand because he got the orgasm. I did like that they pointed out that anal sex is not a common activity with gay male couples. Mm. Yeah. The couple confirmed it on the show. They said, yeah, we had anal sex in the sex box, but it's not a day-to-day thing. We save it for special occasions. Mm. I think that, yeah, I think in terms of raising awareness about queer sex and and how um, heterosexual relationships could learn from queer sex, it's really progressive. So the panel is actually quite progressive. And then they had like a really interesting representations there. And that, that one panel we watched with the psychologist and the woman didn't really find out who she was. And then Dan Savage, because mm. then, you know, he's a homosexual male and the psychologist, I don't know what his sexual orientation is, but he represents an older generation. So he knows yeah. about the shift and the, and the understanding of sex and True. sexual liberation. And then they had a woman as well. So that's representational of you know, women. Mm. And so that's all really useful. Yes, actually, the older man um, talked about how we've gone from commitment being the initial thing in a relationship to sex to um, 
exploring sex first and then commitment comes later and I found that really interesting and then I was thinking that places a lot of emphasis on sex being one of the most important things in a relationship Mm. which I agree with but is that problematic do you think do you mean what he said or no the idea of sex being like the trial period as to if you are compatible sexually that means you're going to be compatible in a relationship together but that doesn't often link up no because you could be compatible sexually but not in how you see the world yeah like um you could have great sex but be they could be an asshole which you know isn't necessarily I don't think necessarily the best thing to do because I, when I have sex with somebody, yeah, sex is just one part of the equation, isn't it? Yeah. Like you want to be able to have a connection with somebody. And I think sex is just a symptom of wanting to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. But that's just the way I see it. They, they were talking to a couple that they felt weaved sex into their everyday routine yeah. rather than making it an event or an emphasis. It's like an extension of their love for each other. Yeah. And they mm. were saying that sex isn't everything. Mm. And that is very true, isn't it? Sex yeah. is a. It's kind of a symptom of the everything. It's mm. a way to connect to other people, which is something we do through talking, through, you know, you know, dancing, playing, hanging out, going to the movies together. There's lots of different ways to connect to people, and sex is just one of them. What I don't particularly like is that to have open conversations about sex, we need to have a gimmick to get people yeah. attracted into it. And that's the sex box. We need and a shock I, factor, yeah. And I don't approve of that, necessarily, because... I say, maybe I'm just a little bit squeamish. Maybe, the, and it's very interesting that it's a British show and that they're saying, like, this is an important conversation for British people to be having because they're more repressed as just in general terms. But I just didn't particularly like the concept of the sex box and that the couples were expected to go and have sex in the sex box rather than just like, hey, why don't we just come have open conversations about sex? Exactly. But I think on balance, I do approve of the show. We don't agree with everything that the panelists say. Yeah, I don't want to be like family first yeah, type. I'm definitely not a say, But I think overall they they do give out some really good points that yeah. mainstream public should be hearing. I mean, when, when I listen to the Savage Love cast, someone whose advice is just pure gold. Yeah. And, you, and I wish, like, why can't this be broadcast to everybody mm. to just hear this? It should be like essential listening sometimes. Yeah, that should just be like taught in schools. Yeah. It should just be the first thing. It should be relationship so, class and the first thing you learn is communicate. Yeah. So if they can consent, use a gimmick to get previously shy public to actually watch these shows and hear this information, they shouldn't need, they shouldn't need the gimmick, but I like that. So I was just about to raise that point. It's like, um, it's like what they say about young adult fiction. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Sorry, keep talking. I was just going to agree with your point entirely. You know, you could, um, because it's that thing where you say, like, oh, they're reading young adult fiction, but at least they're reading? Well, the point that they were, the reason they were using the sex box, as what Kathy Allen was saying earlier about the, them being vulnerable, was that they reckon that immediately following orgasms, couples are more realistic with each other and they can talk more openly without veiling what they mean because they don't want to, like, ruin the sex beforehand or. Hmm. Well, just following sex, not necessarily following orgasms because you don't have to orgasm to have sex. Very true. Or to be connected to someone. Also, orgasms don't necessarily make you more um, realistic biologically, do they? Because orgasms are bonding. So you might actually have rose-tinted glasses post-orgasm. But I agree with Kathy. Post-sex, you're actually feeling quite calm with each other. And so, like, any fights that you're having, that's why makeup sex is a thing. 
that's where like the whole term of like pillow talk comes from where you have sex and then you're kind of cuddling afterwards or you're kind of get pillow chatty i've always felt like pillow talk is dangerous because i think that you don't have a filter i've certainly experienced that where things are all kind of calm you're kind of doing the pillow talk kind of thing and then like something will be said which is like tanks the whole conversation oh yeah and suddenly it goes on this tangent where there's like a fight suddenly uh-huh. or let's say it's like you know 10 o'clock at night 11 o'clock at night you want to go to sleep go work the next day and then something gets said which then kind of riles up the other person uh-huh. and you suddenly have this argument and it's getting later and later and you think you really want to go to sleep so you get so you're very tired and so you're kind of just desperate to get out of this argument and sometimes it has to follow its course and it can get really late at night sometimes and you think wow if I just like shut my mouth for that one second like I'll be asleep <laughs> right now why do you think that is? do you think it's because you're quite vulnerable? I think so yeah people are a bit more sensitive to their feelings so maybe their feelings can get hurt a lot easier or it's because they, they're feeling honest they'll tell you something that's been bugging them for days or whatever and then mm. that's all on Oh, well, then maybe it was a good time to start talking about your relationship and putting it into perspective. Yeah. You have to be careful, though, because if you're feeling vulnerable, you might yeah, you might react in, in a bigger way than you intend. Yeah. Also, feeling vulnerable of a huge studio audience and cameras on you. Mm. That'd be very bizarre. Talking about Netflix series. I think the best of the bunch is Master of None. I think everyone would agree with that. I, mean, I would agree. It's an excellent show. It's an excellent show, isn't it? Why is it so good, do you think? It's Aziz, I think. He just really... Aziz Ansari is a very... He plays a very good role. He plays a very relatable role. Some of the previous roles, like Parks and Recreation, he's more of a, a cartoonish character. Yeah. Whereas this one, he's like a, like a legit dude just trying to meet a woman and get by with his friends. Nothing goes right. Or, no, that's not true. A lot of these like rom-com type movies, these like major things go wrong, and in this show, a lot of things go right. I think the first thing I say about it is that it's very innovative, and that it puts a lot of emphasis on Asian actors and actually just multi-ethnic actors. The main actors are Asian, or his friends African American Asian. They're all mixed, and they yes. get the main airtime. And a lot of the shows that you watch or movies more and more all the time it's becoming multi-ethnic but they are always sub-characters they're not main characters and there's huge parts of the population that would relate to seeing main characters being asian or african-american or black of any you know particular nation so that's Mm. really cool it's really innovative in that sense but i think it follows a similar trend that a lot of tv shows have coming out and that it actually deals with the everyday life that an awkwardness that we face in an interesting way. Yeah. But I think girls, master of none and love all are really relatable. And that's why I think people like them as shows. And a lot of the TV shows that are coming out are very real and in your face. And actually a lot, quite, a lot of the time yeah. quite hard to stomach. Like I, I've watched master of none and I think, wow, this episode is so much like things that happen in my life. Like the episode which, which just shows the day to day decline of a, a relationship through repetitiveness, tiffness. Oh, and that's the most that that's the most talked about episode, isn't it? Is that one called Mornings? The Mornings one, yeah. And that just shows the Aziz and his girlfriend Rachel, 
um, throughout progressive mornings, and yes, showing, showing the deterioration yeah. of their relationship. The whole episode spans, I think, a year in their life. Yeah. And it starts off sex all the time, super happy, everything's hilarious, to just like boredom. Yeah. Where they're just like rubbing their eyes with boredom during sex, and it's not exciting. And also, the fear of incompatibility at an age where they should really be settling down. They put a lot of pressure upon themselves and their relationship to try to make it into something more serious. And that's something that Dev, I think his name is, really worries about. And then he talks to his father and he tells him about the bell jars um, fig tree. And the fig tree mm. is this concept where, in my Sylvia Plath, that you're, there's so many beautiful figs on this tree and each of the figs represents something in your life, a path in your life that you could go. And in the book, it's about, um, oh, you know, I could be an amazing journalist or I could work in a publishing house or I could be a mother with a great family. And But she feels like she's starving at the bottom of the tree because she can't bear to choose. And that's what Dev's father tells him. I hope his name's Dev. <laughs> Dev, Dev, yeah. Um, that he just stares at the tree and stares at the tree, but he can never pick. And so he can't commit to Rachel because he's afraid that there might be someone better out there for him. And that and that's the big that I think I feel I felt like that was the big message of the episode. It is. And it's a common fear that people have where they look at their partner and think, Is this as good as it gets? Can I do better than this person? And that's the thing I think that ends a lot of relationships, this idea that there's always someone better out there. And it's it's kind of like a big hang-up of the human condition that you always want more than you have. Apparently it's bio- it's a biological thing. I don't know. Because when we, you know, back in prehistoric ages, we used to move from place to place trying to get the best conditions. So people argue that we're still doing that. We're still trying to find the best conditions for ourselves, but that means high salaries, better jobs, you know, a more whatever partner, more conventionally attractive partner, or, conven- you know, they're interesting or more interesting or... Whatever it is, you always want to better yourself. And I think that that was a really interesting analysis of the episode that we've come to this place in modern society where there's always so much more you can have, but we never appreciate what we do. And that is sure. negatively affecting a lot of us. And I think a lot of it comes into a grass is greener perception of other couples. We think the couple that you're in right now is maybe you fight a lot or you have bad sex or you just think you see other couples that you know and in public they're a great couple and you think why aren't we more like that couple right and that's the same for everything someone who seems to have a really great job or have their life together might have i don't know crippling mental illness you never know what someone else has going on in their life you can't compare yourself to others you can only compare yourself to yourself as they say but I think, like, see, like, look how long that conversation took. And that's just one episode. Like, we could talk about that episode where he went for a first date down to Nashville. That was a great episode. I spent the whole time really enjoying the episode. I it made me really want to have a relationship again. Yeah. Because it was such a nice thing. They had such a good rapport with each other. But at the same time, I knew this is a TV show. Something has to, like, reset it before the end. So he's going to say something bad. He's going to really piss her off. And there was a couple of times during the episode where I thought that was it now. He's, he's going to ruin everything. But, but she rolled with it. And I think yeah. ultimately, the little fight they had near the end, I think made them a stronger couple because they needed that conflict. And it was more relatable. 
But yeah, and there was also a bit where he takes her to a restaurant. He's like, this is the best restaurant. She's like, actually, I'm a vegetarian. I can't eat anything here. Which is definitely a first date thing. They really captured that idea of a first date. Like, you're really excited about each other. You haven't heard each other's jokes before. You haven't heard each other's points of conversation. So all of it is new and exciting. And their rapport is kind of at their best. But at the same time, they don't really know each other at all. So yeah. he takes her to a restaurant, she's a vegetarian. And like, so all of those problems that they need to sort out in future are only just being introduced in this episode. And not even just any restaurant, like a specialist meat restaurant. I actually think, even though the morning's episode was the most talked about, I think my favourite was the parents one, where he was talking about his parents immigrating. And we saw, which was so unique, that we saw scenes of his, the main character, Dev's parents, and also his friend Brian's parents, because they're from China, I believe. Um, And... We saw them before they moved to the States, the trials they went through to get to the States, yes. and then you could see the contrast with their second-generation sons not really appreciating them or the effort they put in. And so it's just kind of a, a, a spin on that idea, like, oh, my parents always want me to appreciate them, they put so much pressure on me. We finally actually saw why the parents want them to appreciate the hard work they put into yes. like moving and immigrating and going through all of that, learning a new language, setting up a business, you know, establishing themselves. And there's that bit where Dev asks his mum, so how was your first day in the States? And she said, it was horrible. I couldn't talk to anyone. My husband had to work. I just sat in the cafeteria and cried. Yeah. Just get to answer the phone because no one could understand her. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe she you know, sitting at yeah. home and crying. That also, was a really good episode. So worth pointing out, and that made the episode even better, was that the parents of these of the characters are their actual biological parents. Oh, both of them. So, yeah, so because I knew that was the parents. case for Aziz. I think and I his think, dad yeah. is fucking hilarious. What's that about? He's not even a comedian. He's a real life doctor, isn't he? Well, yeah, I think so. He's what like I'm, one of the best characters. <laughs> what I'm not sure is is if his parents are accurately acting themselves or if they're <laughs> terrible actors. <laughs> Oh, you because like they... the mother, you know, she seems like deer in the headlights sometimes saying her lines. But maybe this is what she's like. <laughs> I hate Chinese food. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Their exchanges were so great. And then his dad was like, I love Chinese food. Just completely ignoring her. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't know that um, the Brian character's parents were actually his parents. Yeah, that, I'd be that surprised was... they weren't actually. It seems to be a thing that Aziz really likes is to have accurate portrayals of family. Yeah. That was really authentic. Yeah. I liked that. That was a lovely touch. And also, um, just because I was comparing it to other shows, like Girls in Love, we've watched recently, it's actually really nice as well. Like, but things go wrong, like you say. But not too wrong. Not too wrong. And, and there's a lot of moments of joy in it. And yeah. I know that things go wrong, but like, in that episode where Aziz has to look after his friend's kids, you can see some real moments of they really look up to him, they really admire him, even though it's really hard for him to look after the kids and he realises that looking after kids is a full-time job and it's a bit exaggerated. Um, The way that he relates to the kids is really sweet and you actually see that. It's not just him hating on the kids the whole time, which they could have used for comedic effort, but they didn't. Um, So I thought that was interesting. I love that bit at the end when they're like, we made you a sandwich, and he's like, I'm going to eat some of the sandwiches this guy bought because your sandwiches are disgusting. (laughs) I was like, I can't believe they went there. But they did, and it was hilarious. Yeah, to appease the kids as well. This TV show not only does a lot for race, but also does a lot for women because there's an entire episode dedicated to sexism and... Oh, yeah. And, you know, what is it, the Hollywood... It's this acting industry. That is a great one too, isn't it? And they talk about... 
which is straight from Aziz's stand-up, which I also recommend, it's really good, that um, the standing in the shop for a long time to wait for somebody to stop following you, that, yeah, that part of the episode is straight from his stand-up, but it's a very real mm. moment, and it's and it's a light take on something that a lot of women have to face all the time. Actually, when me and Kathy were walking down here, we were talking about how just um, living your everyday life as a woman can be quite a struggle, like, that time that that guy just came up behind Kathy and just started yelling right full volume in her ear and the yeah. only possible reason for it could be here's a here's a you know a feminine looking young woman I'm just going to walk up to her and intimidate her just because I can yeah and so that episode raised awareness about something that women have to face all the time and I thought that was really good anyway. There are some young men walking past us, a group of three. I was there with Kathy, and we were carrying a burger for Jaslyn, because I'm a good friend, and I deliver burgers sometimes. Burger friend. (laughs) Hashtag, I bring you burgers. I didn't buy it, though, jeez. And so we were walking past, I had my hands full. I just want to mention this, because it really hindered me. Um, And then this punk is... Sorry, he, he looked like a punk. I'm sorry. I don't have any problem with pugs punks especially and just this guy was dressed like a punk and so then he was yelling and shouting and then he walked up to Kathy and came in like started turned around walked towards Kathy and I knew here comes trouble just because of the intent of the way that he did it and he walks up behind her starts shouting at full volume whatever song it was and Kathy kind of stops like a deer in headlights very frightened because it's not something she ever has to deal with and then he just walks away again and Kathy's visibly upset And then another guy comes around the corner and then for some reason he decides that he needs to apologize for these yelling punks. Even though I was there with Kathy ready to comfort her burger in hand. He says, oh my god, I'm so sorry about those guys. You know, that was awful. And Kathy just just like really like kind of, oh my god, what that really shocked. Like just saying things you wouldn't shock. Like that was really scary. That was really scary. And then he's, he really awkwardly puts his arms out taps her like pats her on the shoulder and he says it's everything's all right you know like the big man coming along to save the situation and i turned to her and i know how to deal with kathy like not deal with help kathy and i think that when people are kind of shocked or worked up you need to stay quite calm so that's my way of approaching those situations and i just say to her like everything's going to be all right or it's all right it's okay you're okay and he said to me it's not all right actually <laughs> Um, that was really awful. And I said to him, are those, are those friends of yours? Because I couldn't understand why he was apologising for them in the first mm. place. And he said, no, they're not friends of mine. Why would you think I'd hang out with those people? And I just, I didn't like the situation for these reasons. I felt like the first part of it was sexism. The punk, for sure. Because he was just like, oh, here's a, a woman. I'm just going to intimidate her just because she's a woman. Yeah. Just because she's a civilian, a passerby. Because I think that's funny. And he's an idiot. He's an asshole. Very obvious form of sexism. I thought the second thing was a form of sexism as well. A woman has to be rescued by a man. And he didn't even stop to think that maybe I was in an intimate relationship with her. I was her girlfriend. I knew how best to comfort Kathy. He just came along and he said, sorry, I sound like a hysterical woman. I was going to calm down. I am hysterical about this. Here's a little thing from me to the people out there, male identified people out there. If you see two people together, don't just assume they're female friends. Okay. Like, maybe they're in a relationship. Maybe you should just give them a private moment. And we don't actually need a man to walk up to us to help us. Women can actually help each other. And I kind of felt like that was a disrespect of our communal nature as women 
and that we can help each other. We don't need people to rescue us. We don't need men to be in relationships with us, nor do we need them to rescue us. And once you realise that you mm. can't, you don't need to be an integral part of a woman's life, things will be better. You can edit out whatever from that you want. <laughs> but I was just raising that point because that episode no. was so much about that kind of thing. And the guys seem really like shocked that that even happens like regularly. Mm. Because it happens all the time. Yeah. If you're not a woman, I just don't think you notice it. I was just walking home from work the other day and this guy yelled out at me, Hello, darling! <laughs> like, really loud, right by me. Yeah. Obviously to me. Yeah. And I completely ignored it. Yeah. Maybe I should have turned around and said something to him, but I won't even give him the, the satisfaction of having me I think I had heard him. That's a good tactic. I think that if it gets to a point where it's quite sexually explicit or objectifying, I actually turn around and swear at them. Because I, I've heard a lot online about how, like, you can't let people get away with it. But that particular situation is just like, I just shouldn't even have to engage with this guy. No. He shouldn't have said anything. But I've had a situation where we were walking past a guy and he grabbed my friend's hair. And I said to him, you know what, you? Off. Yes, that is. Fuck off, is what I said. It's a whole other level. If you actually physically grab somebody. You need to, yeah, I needed to say something. And then he started yeah. hurling abuse at me. So I just started hurling it back and we walked away. Like, people shouldn't be able to get away with it. It's not okay. But, you know, sometimes women aren't in a situation where they can stand up for themselves. It's actually quite scary. Like, if you were down a dark alleyway, there's not other people around. And these are the types of things we have to spend every day being afraid of. And I just don't think that men get that. Sometimes. They just... I'm not saying they're bad people. Not, you know... I don't want to be like, not all men. But, like, they aren't the the predators. They're just guys who are entitled. And they don't see this kind of stuff happening. But, um... A friend of mine was telling me about a conversation she was having with a close male friend. And he said, these girls were really rude. And they looked at these guys who were sitting on the floor like they were scumbags next to the bathroom. And she said maybe she was actually frightened because there were two guys just kind of hanging around a bathroom and she needed to use it. And for a woman, that's very scary. In rape culture, we're told that we should check ourselves rather than men should check their behavior. So of course we're frightened. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. That's my spiel. I'll offer a lighter segue into another show on Netflix called Love. Okay. Which features a woman standing up for herself, played by uh, Gillian Jacobs. Yeah. You may know from Community. And her character's name is Mickey. Mickey. So in the first episode, she breaks up with her boyfriend, and she does this because they have, I think they have an on-again, off-again relationship, but they're having sex. He orgasms, indicates the sex is over, and I was really pl- pleased about this. She berated him for this, said, what about me? Like, I haven't gotten off yet. And he was just like, whatever, i got to go meet my mum now. My mum's picking me up, <laughs> yeah, i got to go right. now. And she was so furious about this. Like, he was disrespecting her sex life. And this like the last straw, and she broke up with him. This scene is then mirrored in the later episode, where she's having sex with another man. Good for her, she orgasms first of sex. Which is like, how? Sorry. 70%! Okay. <laughs> She's part of that she 30%. Was, she was doing a position which is more likely to achieve orgasm, to be fair. And then she orgasms, kind of indicates that the sex is over now. And like some kind of, maybe it's a coincidence, maybe it's some kind of mental revenge thing. And the guy's like, <laughs> oh, but I haven't come yet. <laughs> I'd love that, but fine. But she's like, fine. And then like expertly gets him off in like five seconds. <laughs> 
I think Kathy was saying that before during the sex box, but about how what's a man orgasms, it's kind of over. And that and that's definitely not how it should go. Like both partners should be, you know, have their needs attended to. They should arrive, you know? They should they arrive should to arrive. the party. <laughs> this is a really good line in Sex in the City where Samantha says if I'm invited to a party, I always make an effort to come. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Love is a very interesting show with some very dysfunctional main characters, which is quite unusual. I think in contrast to Master of None, where Deb is actually really likeable, I think Gus especially isn't. Because I initially said I do like Gus, but what episode are you up to? Uh, I think five. Yeah, he gets progressively worse as the episodes go on. So I kind of, I don't know. I This show leaves you wondering if you actually want the couples to be together. It's a very anti-rom-com, you know. And, and most rom-coms like, oh, I don't know, you've got mail. All you do is spend the whole film rooting, they'll finally meet each other or finally yeah. get together. And love, you don't. You feel very mixed on it. That's a great point because it's actually really true, like, I didn't really even thought of that until just now, that, yeah, I don't want them to get together. Yeah, they're not very compatible. And you know it's probably going to happen, and you think, ah. Oh, I kind of just wanted not. them to be friends. I think they have a good friendship, possibly. I think so. Because then, like, both of their shitty behaviour, and I feel like they need, they have a lot of work to do on themselves. Like, she's obviously in relationships with that guy, and he just keeps coming back whenever he pleases, and she's just like, okay, come on. And she's having trouble with relationships. She needs to take some space, as does he. But maybe through a friendship, they could work on that together. And that's actually what I thought the series was going to be about. I thought it was going to be two people who are sorting through their mutual breakups, and they find yeah. a bond through that or a friendship. But no, it's the Harry Met- it's the when Harry met Sally complex, but then a man and a woman can't possibly be just friends. Which I've probably been on record on this podcast to say, like, I'd like to actually see... TV shows or movies. Just maybe one. Just maybe some. Like, sleeping with other people. Where they could just be friends, you know? There needs to be, like, an end goal that might be coming that people are excited about. Whether they, they want them to not get together or they want them to get together. Yeah. If it's just, oh, that's just Mickey and Gus hanging out as usual. I don't need to watch this show right now. I'll maybe I'll skip this one. It's less appealing for them. Maybe. That makes me sad. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> And and another interesting about love is great supporting characters. Yes. Birdie is great. (laughs) Mickey's a very interesting character. I find her likable throughout the entire series because she's willing to admit that she has problems and seek help. Even though she continues to indulge in the addictive behaviour. Which is also a very common thing for people. Yeah. Maybe it's just because... Jillian Jacobs, she's so likable. I can't see her in a role and not like her and think that she does a really good job. Do you think you'd like Mickey as much if she if you didn't know her from other roles? If she was if she, if the actress brought the same energy to the role, then yes, I think I might. Because there's something um I think it's what Gus sees in Mickey. It's that badass thing that she kind of doesn't care. She doesn't care if she gets kicked out of a place. She doesn't care if people don't like her opinion. She always sees it. Yeah. And I think that's something really likable about her. I, I've been reading a lot of stuff on the AV Club. The AV Club is very interesting for TV shows, by the way. They they have a write-up of every TV show that's on, so every okay. girl's episode gets a write-up. So if you're like particularly invested in a TV show, 
it's good to go on the AB club and see what they say about it because they'll often connect up things you wouldn't have otherwise. So that thing I said actually about we don't want the couple to get together, that's from the AB club thing. Right. Just going to say credit to the AV club, I'm sorry. Shout out to the AV club. Also shout out to the comments of the AV club article because <laughs> I think I took a lot of opinions from there. Um, so a lot of people are, are torn about Mickey and Gus. Some people are saying like Mickey is just as bad as Gus, just in a different way. People are saying, no, Gus is awful. Mickey's great, you know, Mickey only really hurts herself and doesn't hurt other people, whereas Gus hurts other people. I think that becomes more apparent as the more episodes you watch. But I think what people distrust about Gus, and you could already see that, is that he has this complex about being the nice guy. And that actually makes him become kind of a mean guy as the episodes go on. So an example of him being the nice guy is that he shows up to the party really early. First, like, lame move. Don't go to a party early. Everyone knows that. But he doesn't. And that's fine. And then he has to clean up all the patio furniture. He offers to. He doesn't even say, like, he's a guest. Yeah. But, I mean, that might be something that I'd do as well. I'd help clean up or do something like that. But I guess that just shows that he really wants to please other people and he really wants to give the impression of being a nice, giving guy. And he's quite invested in his image. And that episode's really interesting because he plays a lot of games with Mickey. Like, he turned up for Mickey, he turned up early because he was so eager. Yeah. But then she doesn't show up for ages, and when she shows up, he ignores her. Yeah. Yeah. Why was he ignoring her? Because I think he was annoyed, because he showed up and he tried to have a conversation with her, and she's like, oh, cool that you're here. Oh, yeah, because they start talking, and immediately she sees her ex-boyfriend goes to talk to her. Um, he gets annoyed, and then meets some other girl, and then she gets annoyed, and things spiral out of control. Well, that's all legitimate because ditching you to talk to your ex-boyfriend would be disheartening, yeah. but you don't need to play games. Yeah. I'm not sure if he was if he, if he was even playing games or if he's just a bit inept or not used to having attention from various women. He is getting a lot of attention from various women. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to talk about it without spoiling it. Yeah. Well, we can, we can maybe move on. Yeah, 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 yeah. We should um, come back to it, though, when you finish the whole series and we can have yeah, a wrap up other honourable mentions. I actually really like Grace and Frankie, even though it's not very highly rated on Netflix. It follows this these friends, there's probably another reason why I like it, called Grace and Frankie, and they are in their 70s and their husbands have just told them that they have been in a relationship for many years and not told them and now they want to be together and get married and they're both just left in the lurch and the only people they have to support each other are each other and they haven't been particularly close friends before and they have to be close friends after. So that's a horrible thing that happens to them. But I think it actually just follows two older women, which is also something you don't normally see, kind of yeah. just being friends and having fun. And and it's kind of got that whole, like, she's uptight, she's kind of a hippie dynamic, but it's fun. Yeah. Anyway, so I like that show. Kathy really likes that show. And um, Kimmy Schmidt, which Jasmine doesn't like. The unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. The unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I like her, again, because nothing can bring Kimmy down. It is well lit. <laughs> I find the characters... It's a very bright wardrobe. I find the characters too cartoonish. Oh, okay. and, the, and the world that it's set in just not realistic enough. There's a character who is played by a white woman and is supposed to be a Native American, and that is just really not good. It was a big mistake to do that. Yeah, one of the main characters is a gay black man, which is really cool. And Kimmy Schmidt, yeah, like I said, like the character is just... She's got a really tough work ethic. She always has a positive spin, and she always manages to solve her problems. So I like her for that, and I actually think some of it's genuinely funny. It makes me laugh out loud. But noted that you don't like it. Noted. Noted and respected. And a new Overruled. Sh- no, <laughs> and a new show that I 
but I kind of cringe like at the moment. Ugh. For my house. No, I watched ten like, minutes of the first episode. And we had to turn it off. Okay. It was too bad. The first episode is very like self-referential. They know that it's a bit of a joke and people are curious. And I think that the show has an identity as it goes on. I've seen like three episodes and they break the fourth wall even so often and they know that it's like a cheesy show. So it's got like this weird thing of like nostalgia and curiosity and just like really lighthearted comedy with characters that you kind of know but also kind of don't know. It's not a show that I would like look forward to watching like I'm going to go home tonight watch for Fuller House. <laughs> I need to kill like 20 minutes. I don't want to get stuck into anything too intense. I guess I'll just watch Fuller House. Well you could watch something better. Like I, I have other shows that I watch but the thing about Netflix is that it makes it so easy to start watching a show. Yeah, totally. Involved. So it's just like, you want to watch this? Yeah, right. Do we recommend Netflix? Um, yeah. I do recommend getting Netflix. I do as well. Yeah. It's, um, it's restricted but I've definitely found my place. Like, I've, I actually realised that most of the shows I watched on Netflix were the New Zealand Netflix shows. Yeah, so. Yeah. It's Downton Abbey as well. And the, the, the content that Netflix is making is really good, high-quality content. Yep, totally. And they don't have... And there's no ads. No ads. And there's no pressure to, um, I feel like, speak to a particular... Obviously, there will be biases. I think there's a big bias towards streaming, actually, in the Netflix original series, which I could get into another time. But there isn't the same amount of biases that you would in other TV shows, like, to yeah. get ratings or to reach, reach those targets. Like, Two and a Half Men, for example. Fucking terrible TV show. Um, but because it was just, like, an easy show to churn out, and people would always laugh at it, and, like, yeah. it, it would get viewers. Netflix shows aren't like that. And also, all the episodes are right there. You can just watch them right now. Yeah, they just put out series in a in bonk. Cool. Yeah. Done. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, please send them through to highexpectationspodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Casts, or wherever you enjoy podcasts. See our Facebook page for details at High Expectations Podcast or on Twitter at High X Podcast. Have a great week. We'll do a, why don't we start with Netflix? Netflix. 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 Sex, sex box. Okay, we'll start with Sox box. Sox box.